Welcome to the Veterans Peace Radio Hour and Podcast on Radio Free Nashville, 107.1 and 103.7 and streaming live at RadioFreeNashville.org. The public was furious at the arrest of the crew of the Golden Road because everybody wanted these tests to stop. Radiation was blowing around in the atmosphere, getting into babies' teeth and bones, and people were like, what's going on? Mother's milk and cow's milk and contaminating our planet. And people just wanted this all to stop. The voyage of the Golden Rule helped spark an increased movement to get this testing stopped. President Kennedy deciding to sign the Limited Test Ban Treaty of 1963. The tactic of using a vote for protest was taken up by Greenpeace. That was Helen Jacquard, and that's right. The Veterans for Peace sailboat, the Golden Rule, is underway. And you'll hear from Helen, the National Coordinator of the Golden Rule Project, and Jerry Condon, former president of Veterans for Peace and now coordinator of the No Nukes Working Group as we talk about the Golden Rule Great Loop Project and much more. But first, my name is Jim Wolgamuth and I'm here with fellow Vietnam veteran Harvey Bennett. We're members of Veterans for Peace. Veterans for Peace is an international organization of military veterans and allies whose collective efforts are to build a culture of peace, humanity, equality, and justice. Just go to veteransforpeace.org. This radio show and podcast is on stations across the country thanks to the Pacifica Radio Network. We're also on SoundCloud, Anchor Podcast, Spotify, and your phone podcast app. Just search Veterans for Peace. Okay, well, the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Radio Free Nashville are supported in part by the Green Party of Tennessee. Uh, bring you some common sense into the bipolar world of American politics. Go to greenpartyoftennessee.org. While the mainstream media, YouTube, Twitter, and other platforms are censoring voices of activism and dissent, we will continue to share those voices who stand up against the establishment, who stand up against the military, industrial, congressional, media, corporate complex, who stand up for us, the global us. And today, not only do we have voices, but we got a sailboat, too. So here's the show. Uh, describe all that went into <laughs> this uh, <laughs> basically disassembling of the Golden Rule and, yeah. and shipping yeah. it halfway across the country. I mean, just so people appreciate just how much people are, are you know, how dedicated everyone is to this mission. I think that's a great place to start. Okay. So, so Helen, tell us about the Golden Rule. Tell us about where it is and how it got there and and well and and why right the vision of the people that who who rebuilt golden rule from 2010 to 2015 was eventually to take golden rule to all of the navigable waters around the united states and when golden rule was stopped in her quest to go to japan for the 75th anniversary of the dropping of the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, we spent two years in in Hawaii and ended up coming back to California because COVID hit and we couldn't go having any, any public events and we needed to just drop back and see what to do next. So we thought about this idea of the original visionaries and decided we could try to go around all the the rest of the United States, all of the Eastern states and down the Midwest. And so I started looking into it and there's this thing called the Great Loop, which normally you would start maybe in Texas, so you can start anywhere. You go around the, you know, the tip of Florida and up the East Coast, and 
in one of different three or four different ways you can get into the great lakes from there and then down you know usually you go down through chicago and the uh through the illinois and mississippi river and up the ohio and down the tennessee and tom big bigby rivers and so i started thinking about that and what that might take and Pretty soon, Minneapolis Veterans for Peace was lobbying really hard to get the Golden Rule to come there. Well, you can't come down through Lake Superior to Minneapolis because the water is too shallow and you can't get through the first lock and dam on the Mississippi River. No, you can't sail the boat from, from the Pacific coast to the Midwest either. <laughs> <laughs> no. without, without going through the Panama Canal. <clears throat> so since we probably were going to take her by truck to go and start the, the voyage anyway, we decided to take her by truck to Minneapolis. And the boat, boat yard that was most able to do that was in St. Croix Marina on the St. Croix River in Hudson, Wisconsin. Well, it's no easy thing to put Golden Rule on a truck, and Golden Rule's never been on a truck before. This is a first for us and, and a first for her. And Captain Kiko, Johnston Kitazawa, who had taken Golden Rule from California, I'm sorry, from Hawaii to California a year ago, said that he would help out in getting her over here and, and sailing her in the first section of her long voyage. So we started out in June. He and some volunteers from Berkeley took off the mast, uh, the sails and the sail covers and started getting, the, getting her disassembled. You can't ship a boat with the masts up. You have to take them off so you'll fit under bridges. We've got a professional boat trucking company involved and asked them how do we prepare the the golden rule for this trucking trip and so once we had all the the main part of the gears off the sails especially uh kiko went away and came back at the appropriate time so then we had to take um you know get the masks kind of ready to come off and we had to, you know, cut some cords and pull some cords up through the deck as far as electronics. And so he helped out with all of that. Then we took Golden Rule from where she was in Marina Bay Marina in Richmond. And we went just a little ways away to Stenson's Boatyard where they have a crane. And they wrapped, uh, you know, big uh, slings around the mizzen mast. And they started pulling and pulling and they put more and more pressure, upward pressure on that mast. And a few different things can happen, but, you know, including you can do damage to the mast or, or the deck or the step that holds the mast onto the deck. Well, after a while, the strong adhesive 
that had been holding the mast down started breaking loose. And the crane operator's assistant started wiggling just a little bit on that mast. And pretty soon the crack got bigger and bigger in that adhesive. Mm. Pretty soon that mast was flying through the air over to the cradles where she'd be for us to disassemble. The main mast was easier. Uh, she's held, that one is, goes through the deck and is held in by a bunch of wedges in, into the hole through the deck. And so you pound out the wedges and then she's pretty much ready to lift. So that was really smooth. Put her on the, on the cradles. And then, then you have to undress the mast, which means take everything off. So we had a whole bunch of of uh, electrical wires and cables that hold the, the mast onto the boat. And we had to label those as we took them off there and carefully coil them and put them down below in the cabin. I mean, all of this took us what, two or three days to accomplish in the boatyard. And then, I mean, it was a really big emotional experience when the truck driver arrived 7.30 in the morning at the boatyard, and we took the golden roll from where she'd been waiting for a couple of days over into the waterway, the little channel that allows us to pick her up. So then they brought the travel lift across over the top of the golden roll, and they put the slings around her, and they started lifting and adjusting and making sure she was coming up level. And then once she was out of the water, they just drove her with the travel lift right over the bed of the truck and set her down gently. And then we just, they just strapped her down and put on some, um, you know, supports. And then we moved the masts over onto the truck. And lo and behold, two hours later, the truck driver's leaving the boatyard with our precious baby. And yeah. which is like a large flatbed truck? Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a low boat. Did it have, was the, was the golden rule situated upright or was it lying on one side? She's sitting upright on her keel on um, two blocks of wood. Uh -huh. And then strapped down. And we then the masts rode on each side of her, and the bowsprit, which would have not allowed us to go under bridges, was put on a different part of the truck, as was our little rowboat. Mm. So you know every area was used for something, and you know Jim Wise of U.S. Boat Haulers is a really great truck driver. He was in contact with me every morning, sending me a link to track him throughout every day. And so and so I knew where he was going to be spending the night and the progress, I could watch it. So that was on a Monday. And on Thursday, I got on an airplane and flew to Minneapolis and was picked up by a member of Minneapolis Veterans for Peace, Dave Logston, who's the president there. And was it the next day, Jerry, next morning, Jerry and Ray Cage from the Tucson chapter co-drove our 
new to us 1987 RV across the country. Yeah. So what about the motor weather? Yeah. Then Golden Rule arrived on Friday early in the morning, and again Jim got there about the same time that the that the marina opened, and he just drove right into the marina parking lot, you know, the staging area, and the travel lift just drove right over the top of Golden Rule. They hooked up the straps, and this time, instead of taking her directly to the water, they took her to where she's on stands right now in Hudson, Wisconsin. She's sitting on stands. We've painted the bottom. We're going to do a little touch-up on the sides. We have done mast maintenance that... Um, you know, the masts haven't been fully painted since we put her in the water in 2015. So we had a great opportunity to, you know, take a thorough look at all the parts of the masts and sand them down and get them painted. And same with the, the three booms. We got those all nice and sanded down and, and grooved up and did their maintenance. And now we're ready to start. Well, K Captain Kiko's already, he met us there. And he's already got a lot of the cables put on to back onto the masts, and we're we're hoping to splash on Wednesday. Yeah, we've got VFP members volunteers working on those. That's right. We've had VFP members show up, Mike McDonald and, and uh, uh, Mary McNellis, and um, her husband Steve Gates have shown showed up, and we've got just some other random people showing up to help out in in ways that. Are, are very useful and we've got another you know group coming you know early next week to help us do the final bit to get ready to put those masks back on the boat and so what we're going to do is we're going to put golden rule back on the travel lift it's going to go over the little channel where she's going to go in the water you know lower her down so that her deck level is even with the um with the ground and we're going to pass those masks. One's 450 pounds and the other is about 250 pounds. We're going to pass them over the front of the boat, front to back, hold them on the boat while we go over to where there's a little dock and a wheel-operated, hand-operated crane. And put those masks back on Golden Rule and hook up the supporting cables and she'll have masks again. And then we're gonna put this, you know, sails back on, and and all the ropes and everything. The electronics need to be hooked up, and then, you know, we're hoping to be able on Friday to sail her up to Stillwater, Minnesota. It's a very short way. I think it's maybe four hours by boat. And uh, then next weekend on the seventh, eight. 17th, 18th, and 19th, we've got a lot of events in Stillwater. So Golden Rolls should be able to be at her first planned event in Stillwater, Wisconsin. And, you know, people will be able to see her on the water at the same time as we're giving talks on land. Well, excellent, excellent. So all of this work, and she gets underway on Wednesday. And then she makes her first stop in Stillwater. And so tell us, first of all, uh, let's update the folks that are listening who maybe don't know why you're doing this. Uh, what is the mission? 
here, Helen, and uh, give us the give us the cliff notes on the history of the Golden Rule because there's a lot of people listening that don't don't uh, don't know that and probably did not or maybe did not hear our first show when we talked to you. I think it was about a year ago or more. So, oh my goodness! Well, <laughs> the Golden Rule was sailed in 1958 by four Quaker peace activists towards the Marshall Islands to try to just get in the way, interfere with nuclear weapons testing there. And they were stopped in Hawaii, which is about halfway to the Marshall Islands. The crew was arrested. And the arrest of the crew of the Golden Rule was a really big deal. It was a well-publicized event. And it takes you know about three weeks to get from California to Hawaii. And during all that time, they had publicists writing about the, the trip and how they were going to just go interfere with the nuclear weapons testing. And so when the crew was arrested, there was a huge outcry. And it, well, the Coast Guard cover brought them back, but it was the U.S. government behind the arrest, the arrest of the crew because they were going to trespass into an area that they weren't supposed to go into. Well, it turned out they didn't have any right to accuse anybody of trespassing at all. It wasn't U.S. territory at all. And most of where they would have been going is considered open seas, and anybody can go there. And it was, you know, Marshall Islands territory. So these violations were totally made up. Um, so... The public was furious at the arrest of the crew of the Golden Rule because everybody wanted these tests to stop. Radiation was blowing around in the atmosphere, getting into babies' teeth and bones, and people were like, what's going on? Mother's milk and cow's milk and contaminating our planet. And people just wanted this all to stop. And ultimately, the voyage of the Golden Rule helped spark an increased movement to get this testing stopped and helped lead to President Kennedy deciding to sign the Limited Test Ban Treaty of 1963. And the tactic of using a vote for protest was taken up by Greenpeace to protest against the Kamchatka nuclear tests in Alaska later which were underground tests. So that's sort of what happened then. Um, the captain, who was a Navy veteran, which connects us, of course, with Veterans for Peace, and he was a veteran for peace before this organization existed. He had put his commission at, in the Navy in protest of the dropping of the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So, you know, he was he was a hero in the peace activist mind already, and he was the first captain of the Golden Rule. So it was him that was leading this show. And he wrote a book after that, The Voyage of the Golden Rule, An Experiment with Truth. And that was a really important thing when Golden Rule sank in a gale in Northern California and was brought up onto the beach of the boatyard of Leroy Zerlane. And his best friend, Chuck DeWitt, is a member of Veterans for Peace. And when 
Chuck came into the boatyard to find out what's the golden rule and why do you want to use it for firewood, Leroy? And then they started talking about the history of the golden rule, looking it up online, found Bigelow's book, and we're going, oh, maybe instead of burning this boat, we should rebuild her. And that's what they did. It took five years. Chuck showed up in that boatyard every day for five years. And we had dozens and dozens of volunteers help restore the boat, a few professionals. Leroy acted as project manager and donated a lot of materials and people's time. And five years later, we relaunched Golden Rule along, you know, in, in Northern California. And for five years, she sailed up and down the West Coast. And when President Trump and President Kim of North Korea were threatening each other with nuclear annihilation, we decided it was time to sail the Golden Rule back into the Pacific and see what we could do to interfere with the possibility of nuclear war, nuclear war then. So now, you know, we made it to Hawaii and ultimately COVID stopped us from going any further and we brought her back to California and decided, well, now what are we going to do? Well, we're going to take her on this amazing trip. We're going to start out in, in Minneapolis and go down the entire Mississippi River, which most great loop people don't do. And then the normal great loop is you go around the Gulf Coast, around Florida, up the East Coast into the Great Lakes and back down the center of the country. So it's going to take us, we're going to be on at this for 11,000 miles. It's going to take 15 months. And we'll be stopping at over 100 cities and towns to talk about getting rid of nuclear weapons. So that's our main mission is um, educating people about the dangers of nuclear weapons and what they can do to stop the possibility of a nuclear annihilation. So here we are uh, actually starting this amazing great loop. And we've, um, we've just had our first events even before the, the, the boat splashes down next week into the San Croix River. The Veterans for Peace folks up here in Duluth, Minnesota said, you've got to come up here. We've got some good activists here. We're really pushing uh, to get to win support for the nuclear ban treaty, the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons. And so we said, sure, we'd be happy to come up. And here we are. And they've organized a whole series of great events. We had a terrific uh, press conference the other morning. And uh, we're really amazed because the, the mayor of Duluth showed up along with the mayor of Superior, Wisconsin, which is kind of very close to here. And both of those mayors spoke brilliantly and eloquently about the importance of eliminating nuclear weapons. And um, I've got I've got those clips and I'm gonna play that for the uh, for the audience. Along, yeah, with, along with the the, vet, the president of the Veterans for Peace chapter. So let's hear some of those clips. Uh, and we're going to start off with Bill Anderson, the president of the local Veterans for Peace chapter. Then we're going to go to Mayor Kane of Superior. 
and then Mayor Larson of Duluth. And I'd like to thank all of you for coming and uh, uh, glad we're having a great day. <laughs> Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. We know more about war than we know about peace, more about killing than we know about living. The way to win an atomic war is to make sure it never starts. And the way to make sure it never starts is to abolish the dangerous, costly nuclear stockpiles which imprison mankind. These are not my words. These are the words of General Omar Bradley in 1948. In 1948, the Soviet Union did not have nuclear weapons. Since nuclear weapons were created, people have been advocating for their abolition. Military leaders, scientists, diplomats, citizens, even presidents have called for the elimination of these dangerous, militarily useless threats to humanity. Ronald Reagan said, a nuclear war cannot be won and must not be fought. He asked the question, would it not be better to do away with them entirely? Obviously, yes. yes. <laughs> Between 1959 and 2010, there were 23 treaties to restrict the testing, deployment, and the numbers of nuclear weapons. In the 1980s, there were about 80,000 nuclear weapons across the world. Today, there are only 13,500. This shows that banning nuclear weapons is not an unrealistic idealism. It is possible. Negotiations work, treaties work. Today we have the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons. But unfortunately our government is not, has refused to sign this treaty. We need to change that and the only way to change that is for local people to pressure our elected officials to do what is right and what is good for everyone. The golden rule is sailing down the Mississippi in just a, a few days, a few weeks, uh, about a week. Yep, about a week. And some of the members of the golden rule are here today And they have come to inform us, to inspire us, and to motivate us for this important work of abolishing nuclear weapons. So thank you, Helen and Jerry and Captain Tico for being here. And we want to welcome you to the uh, Head of the Lakes. That what we do as Veterans for Peace and Grandmothers for Peace and the Golden Rule Project is nonpartisan. Obviously, the important work of abolishing nuclear weapons is not a partisan issue. And so we just want to remind people of that. And now uh, I'm going to alter our schedule just a little bit. Uh, Mayor Payne needs to, needs to uh, uh, get back over to Superior. Uh, our, our Wisconsin governor is coming to visit today. So I turn it over to, to Mayor Payne.
Good morning, everybody. Uh, I want to thank everybody for being here. Thank you for adjusting the schedule. It's a busy day, but I really didn't want to miss this event. Uh, there's two things I want to say. First, the banning of nuclear weapons is not a radical idea. It's not a partisan idea. It's, uh, it's not a national or international idea. It's, it's very much a local issue because the risk is to local people. It's to everyday people around the world. There are still living victims and survivors of nuclear weapons in the world today. It's important to remember that. And there can be no more victims of nuclear weapons in the 21st century as there were in the 20th century. The fact is nuclear weapons do not bring peace. They do not bring security. They bring insecure, insecurity, instability. They raise the risk of war, death, and destruction and the annihilation of the human race. They should be banned by every community in the world. What is a radical idea is peace. It is not the opposite of war. It is, it is the real work of bringing communities together, of making them stronger, of building greater understanding beyond just national and international borders. And that's the work that the Veterans for Peace and the Grandmothers for Peace do. I'm very proud that they're here in the Twin Ports. I'm especially proud that Phil and Dorothy are from Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin, uh, and that they are doing this work in our community, that they're not afraid to say the challenging things that we have to say to bring real peace. It is not just nonviolence. It is the work of building communities and building better relationships, but it is very hard. It is challenging. It comes with a great deal of pushback and resistance, and they have been fighting that fight for peace for all of us for years now. So thank you for, for standing, for doing this out loud, for doing it right here on the steps of Duluth City Hall, and I, I wanted to pledge my support to do this work with you. So thank you for having me here today. Thank you, Mayor Payne. Mayor Larson? Thank you. Okay, thank you so much, and thank you uh, to the speakers ahead of me. Uh, we have such a long tradition here in the city of Duluth of being activists, about speaking out with our values and being very clear about our expectations of using resources to take care of each other. So I am it's so... Um, I'm thinking a lot about Jan Karen, who we, we spoke of, uh, the sister of the founder of Grandmothers for Peace. Her beautiful grandsons were my kids' best friends for years, and so the very first time I met her at a birthday party, she was talking about this issue. She was asking me to spread the news. I got my mom to be a grandmother's for peace, and my stepdad had already been a veteran for peace. So it, um, it really warms my heart that we're here, and we have the memory of Jan and the hard work that she's been doing in this community. There isn't a whole lot more I can say because the, actually the words and the actions of the activists and organizers that we stand with together speak volumes about the values of this community there is such a different path we can take when we when we boldly talk about how we can take care of each other how we can make sure that we're not putting each other our communities our neighborhoods our countries our cities at risk with nuclear war there is just such a fundamentally wrong position to save and harvest ways that we can intentionally harm and threaten people. That isn't peaceful, that isn't good, that doesn't build up joy, that doesn't build up community, that doesn't change anything other than put people at risk. We're better than that, I believe, as a world, as a country, as a community. And I want to thank the ship's captain is here. I want to thank the group that is launching this conversation here in the city of Duluth. My best hope is that we get the Golden Rule ship here as well, um, but know that whether or not we do, 
we sail with you. We wish you peaceful sail and wonderful, beautiful conversation and national change. So thank you. Thank you very much. We're very, very pleased with that. And then there's been a whole series of events, potluck dinners, public meetings, uh, speaking in churches. Helen and Captain Pico spent the whole day speaking to six uh, high school classes uh, yesterday. Um, today we were um, at the, uh, uh, the Bayfront Harvest Festival uh, with a table and we talked to scores of people, lots of interest. And uh, we've had a couple other events. We had a a really nice dinner tonight with a bunch of supporters. Uh, tomorrow morning, we're speaking at yet another church, uh, United, uh, Unitarian Church. We spoke at the Peace Church uh, it was just last night. Uh, so we're getting quite a bit of, of outreach and uh, finding a great reception. And uh, it's actually very inspiring, very, very much inspiring, and a great way to kick off our Great Loop voyage. Uh, so uh, we find it very energizing. One thing we've been discovering, and it's really no surprise, is it's really hard to talk about uh, the danger of nuclear war today without, of course, getting into the Ukraine war, uh, which has heightened that the possibility of nuclear war. Uh, as many experts say, uh, the it's a greater danger now than at any time since the Cuban Missile Crisis. And some people feel it's even greater than that. And so we've had the opportunity uh, to talk about, you know, it's a very difficult topic because there's been such uh, one-sided uh, propaganda blitz in almost all the media. Um, so people are surprised to hear any other uh, um, uh, narrative that doesn't support uh, what we're hearing from the media and from the Biden administration. Um, and uh, But people are, are very curious. People are very open-minded. They want to know more. So it gave me the opportunity to talk also about the uh, Nuclear Abolition Working Group of Veterans for Peace and the work that we did to produce a rather amazing document our our very own nuclear cost review. We got tired of waiting for President Biden to issue his nuclear cost review, which I believe he has not yet done so. Um, and uh, so we issued our own. We came up with a, a lot of very important and so, to some extent obvious recommendations, such as um, no first use of nuclear weapons. Uh, the U.S. still has a has a policy where they could be the first to launch a nuclear war, taking weapons, nuclear weapons off air trigger alert, uh, uh, eliminating the sole authority of the president uh, to launch a nuclear war uh, on his or her own, um, and many other um, good uh, recommendations. We also, in that nuclear posture review, kind of looked at each of the nine countries who have nuclear weapons and kind of examine what the U.S. relationship and posture is towards those countries. And so I found it very useful last night at our uh, event at the Peace Church here to uh, uh, read a little bit from the, uh, about the U.S. nuclear posture vis-a-vis -vis Russia. And if you don't, with your indulgence, I'll read a little of that right now. Basically, 
it says the world has gone from 70,000 nuclear warheads during the height of the Cold War to 14,000 on the planet today. So we know how to reduce the arsenals by disabling the bombs under strict inspection and verification processes. However, the U.S. has missed numerous opportunities to cooperate with Russia over the years. And this is very significant. Starting at the end of World War II, when President Truman rejected plans to turn the bomb over to the United Nations under international supervision. I had never heard that before. And that's very interesting. I'd like to learn more about it. Uh, subsequent U.S. actions that either missed opportunities to reduce the risk or actually increase the risk of nuclear confrontation with Russia include the following examples. And get this, President Reagan, you know, we, we hear a lot about Reagan and Gorbachev having made uh, some important agreements to reduce nuclear weapons, and they did. However, President Reagan rejected President Gorbachev's offer to give up the deployment of a Star Wars missile defense system in space as a condition for both countries to eliminate all their nuclear weapons. Uh, so that was on the table, and Reagan said no. President Clinton refused President Putin's offer to cut our massive nuclear arsenals down to 1,500 bombs each, and to call on all the other nuclear armed states to negotiate the elimination of all nuclear weapons in exchange for the U.S. not placing missile fights in Romania. So, you know, that's a very big missed opportunity there. President George W. Bush walked out of the 1972 anti-ballistic missile treaty and put a missile base in Romania. President Trump placed another missile base in Poland. And these are so-called anti-ballistic missile um, systems. So um, they're often described as defensive. But in fact, there's kind of part of a sword and shield first strike strategy. And theoretically, the US, which as I said, it's the US nuclear policy still has a policy where it could be the first to attack with nuclear weapons. The US could theoretically attack Russia with nuclear weapons and then use these ABM systems on the border on Russia's very borders to shoot down the responding missiles uh, that would be coming from uh, Russia. So that's very, very significant. In fact, that's a lot to do with the current confrontation and a uh, 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 very unfortunate and terrible war in Ukraine. Uh, President George W. Bush walked out of the 1972 Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty. I think I already read that, sorry. Uh, President Bush in 2008 and President Obama in 2014 blocked any discussion of Russian and Chinese for a space weapons ban. And, uh, and uh, President Obama rejected President Putin's offer to negotiate a treaty to ban cyber. President Trump pulled the U.S. out of the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, which was very important in Europe. Um, it has a lot to do with the, the nuclear standoff that I, I believe underlies uh, the is one of the under underpinning causes of the war in Ukraine. Uh, and then finally, uh, uh, from President Clinton through President Biden, the U.S. has never ratified the 1992 Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty, 
which Russia actually has ratified. So you can see there's a whole pattern here of not only missed opportunities uh, for uh, reducing uh, nuclear tensions and beginning a process of uh, nuclear disarmament, uh, but also uh, just uh, actually stepping up the tensions. Uh, the U.S. Uh, insisting on uh, a rather aggressive policy of, of, of gaining uh, nuclear superiority over Russia, moving uh, missile systems right to very Russia's very borders. The U.S. and NATO simultaneously expanding uh, to many of uh, former Soviet republics, moving right on into the borders of uh, of Russia, and uh, then of course. Uh, uh, actually uh, threatening to uh, include Ukraine itself um, in NATO. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, in my opinion, none of these things excuse Russia's invasion. Um, it's a terrible war. It's killed tens of thousands of people. It's made millions homeless. It's made the world a much more dangerous place. Raises, raises the risk of nuclear war. Um, I, this war is just not the answer. And I think that's uh, certainly uh, the belief of veterans for peace. Um, at the same time, we have to understand that our own government has, has a lot of responsibility for creating this war crisis and for, and for escalating the war and continuing to pour billions of dollars of weapons into Ukraine. So Veterans for Peace is part of the Peace in Ukraine coalition, which next week, or maybe this week, is having uh, a week of action uh, for peace in Ukraine. That's actually September 12th through 15th, but it will certainly be continuing beyond those dates. Uh, we'll be calling for, on the, on the President and the Congress, to telling them that we want a, a, a ceasefire to stop the killing now. We want negotiations to end the war in Ukraine. We want billions of dollars for climate, jobs, healthcare, and housing, not for weapons and endless war. And finally, we want them to make sure that they do not risk nuclear war. So these are the, the demands we'll be making. And I think it's really, really, really important especially since the peace movement so far and the response from the U.S. peace movement has been uh, very weak and confused to, to some extent because this is a very uh, complex uh, war and uh, because we've been bombarded with unprecedented uh, one-sided uh, reporting about the war. Uh, Jerry, I'm glad you brought up about the billions of dollars uh, that are being spent that could go for climate or education or uh, because when I've been working with people um, welcome that are going to welcome the uh, the golden rule in Memphis, um, there is a an aspect to it like, well, okay, fine, nuclear war, but nuclear war is going to be over there or you know they don't see they're they're more concerned about. Well, in Memphis right now, they're more concerned about poverty and gun violence because they've had a series of killings in there that are disaster. Uh, also, the ed education in 
education in Tennessee. Um, I mean, we normally, Tennessee normally ranks in the bottom 10, 10th. Uh, so I'm glad you brought up that connection. And I just wanted to ask you and Helen, with the visits of the Golden Rule, um, uh, I know the mission is anti-nuclear, but you're make, are you making that connection? But we really want to make that connection. I think, uh, frankly, we're still learning how to do that. It's critically important because, first of all, um, it, it's, uh, it's one thing that we don't want to just scare people with the idea of nuclear uh, obliteration. But in fact, uh, a nuclear war uh, would threaten uh, the entire planet. And uh, even a limited nuclear war uh, could, uh, could uh, uh, cause worldwide devastation. Um, but uh, that's maybe not enough to get people's attention. It seems so abstract. And, and I think people feel it's unlikely because it hasn't happened for so many years. Um, so I think it's really important to make that connection. I mean, the military budget, the U.S. military budget is, is obscene. I mean, it was already uh, more than the, than the, the next uh, 10, 11 countries combined. And, and now with the Ukraine war, they've raised it uh, a whole lot more and, and Biden's asked for incredible increases and they've not only given him that, but they've thrown some more in there. And of course he's pouring a lot of money into Ukraine itself. Um, $40 billion um, has already passed and passed by the Congress almost unanimously. I mean, all the Democrats voted for it. Um, and now, just a few days ago, he asked Congress for $13 billion in additional money. In the meantime, there's not money for, you know, basic human needs, um, health care, housing, um, and addressing climate change. And the limited steps that were being taken to address climate change are being thrown out the window right now. Um, so uh, the the twin the twin existential threats of climate catastrophe and nuclear war are looming and they're very much linked. But we want to uh, make our events in Memphis and elsewhere to be very intersectional, to address the, the local economic needs, to address the question of climate, to address the question of housing, and have speakers from those movements be part of our events. And uh, that's our intention to be very quote unquote intersectional uh, because that's uh, uh, that's not only how you're gonna, we're gonna make the concerns about nuclear uh, war real to people, but it's also the type of movement that has to be uh, built uh, in the coming period uh, if we're gonna uh, survive these very real and imminent threats. And another aspect of that is something Veterans for Peace has been working on for quite some time, which is peace at home, peace abroad. So there's a, a definite relationship in the culture of war, the culture of violence that produces more and more military spending and also produces more and more violence at home. So I think that we can make that connection there for some of the areas where they're just trying to get through the school day without, you know, some kind of mass shooting, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. 
so you are going into schools and you are um are are people going to be able to get on the boat helen are people going to be able to tour definitely wherever we are we're offering people a chance to go take a tour of the golden rule feel her for themselves see the, see her grandeur as she is when she's in the harbor and whenever it's safe to do so we'll try and take a few people out sailing uh, we don't know how that's going to go down on the Mississippi River yet. We haven't experienced it. So um, we're not making any promises for that, but we're definitely going to let people come aboard and have a look around. Good. We're looking for volunteer crew as well. Excellent. Excellent. And we're looking for organizers wherever we go. We, uh, we need a little bit of help in St. Louis and Baton Rouge and Louisiana to get start for starters. And then we need people to help us out along the Gulf states as well, um, all the way down to the tip of Florida. So if you know anybody in that area, you should probably give us a shout. Um, you can call me at 206-992-6364, or you can send an email, vfpgoldenruleproject at gmail.com. Let me know that you might know somebody or if you are there and would like to help out, please let me know that you have uh, some connections in your community and you might be able to organize some speaking events or some parties mm -hmm. in the park or potlucks or however you'd like to greet us when we get there. Right, and this is a real, a real grassroots effort and it's been funded um, by the grassroots. Um, and so that's really important too, to keep the project rolling. We, we need to raise money as we go. And uh, so we encourage people to check out our website. You can see the whole schedule there. And there's a way to donate there on PayPal, or there's also an address if people want to send a check in. But we strongly encourage you to go to uh, VFP, that's for Veterans of Peace, VFPGoldenRule.org. Check it out, and if you can possibly make a, a donation, please do. Okay, so the website was vfpgoldenrule.org? That's correct. Okay, very and good. And our candle is Golden Rule Peace Boat. <laughs> and Golden Rule Peace Boat. All yeah, right. we're going to be doing regular updates along the route, so every every town we go to, and Helen said that's going to be 100 cities and towns, um, we're going to be posting a lot of great stuff on uh, social media, and including our Facebook page, but also Instagram, LinkedIn, and uh, YouTube, and other platforms. Uh, so people will also be able, we're also going to have a tracker on the boat, so people can actually go to the website, uh, click on that link and see uh, where the boat is in real time. And and say you're in Baton Rouge, say you're along the Gulf Coast, you don't have to be a VFP chapter to help out. Oh no. You this don't have a... to be a member of Veterans for Peace. If you're a member, if you're a member of any peace organization, you can reach out and help out along the way. The golden rule belongs to everybody. And uh, it, it really, uh, that's the beautiful thing about it. And it's been embraced by a lot of people from all kinds of different movements. And uh, it's, uh, 
And we are, I don't know if you said this already, but you know, we're specifically also promoting the United Nations Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons and encouraging, like here in Duluth, where we are now, they're organizing themselves to push the city council and push the mayor to pass a re resolution uh, to in support calling on the federal government to uh, uh, sign uh, the, the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons. So that's uh, a very practical organizing thing that's happening in a lot of places. I think already, how many states have signed that treaty or signed the resolution? Oh, I think it's about 66 in the United States. And of course, there are and five states and five whole states. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there are cities all around the world that are calling on their own governments mm -hmm. to ratify this treaty. You're listening to Helen Jacquard and Jerry Condon of Veterans for Peace and the Veterans for Peace Golden Rule Project. And I need to take a break real quick because I have a favor to ask if you are in the Nashville, Davidson County area, because Ginny Welsh, one of the council persons uh, for the Metro Council, is uh, initiating a resolution to go right along with what uh, we've been talking about, to ban nuclear weapons. And I want you to call your council person, your own council person and say, I support the Ginny Welsh resolution to ban nuclear weapons. Or write an email. Find your council person and write an email. This is going before the council on September the 20th. So you don't have much time. If you're listening to this on the 15th, you got to make your call or write your email right now. So thanks very much and let this get done in the Nashville area. Now back to Jerry and Helen. I think already, how many states have signed that treaty or signed the resolution? Oh, I think it's about 66 in the United States. And of course there are- and Five states. And five whole states, that's correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there are cities all around the world that are calling on their own governments mm -hmm. to ratify this treaty. And we're, we're really excited. We played an important role in getting the city and county of Honolulu to do so. And one of the things that really excites me about what's going on in Duluth, Minnesota, is that they're starting a nuclear abolition, essentially working group here locally, partly as a result of the push that we're giving them towards working on this issue here. We hope to be able to leave behind local people that want to continue mm -hmm. to work on this issue wherever we go. Right. Exactly. Locally here, yeah, Veterans for Peace, working with Grandmothers for Peace, and the League of Women Voters and the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, and, and other groups. And as you can see, um, they already have very good relations with the, uh, the local mayor who spoke so eloquently uh, at the press conference. So. Well, I'd like to make one more plug for the Peace in Ukraine uh, website. I don't know if I did that already. Peaceinukraine.org. There's a lot of good resources there. Sample petitions, sample letters, uh, a list of actions taking place in different cities. Mm -hmm. And also something that was just added recently is kind of talking points, how to answer 
the difficult questions you get from your neighbors and family members. So some very, very useful resources there uh, at uh, peaceinukraine.org, which is organizing this uh, uh, week of action for Peace in Ukraine this week. Excellent, excellent. So one last question. Um, how should we finish up? What type of song? Helen had a suggestion. Oh, just a, a short clip. We didn't know when we set sail in 58, we'd all end up in jail. And I've been called worse than a fool for sailing on the golden rule. So here is Phoenix and the Golden Rule, a song by Michael Stern.
it's up to me, it's up to you, do unto as you would have them do, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, do unto others as you would have them do unto you.